Welcome, Tribe of the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals. This is Brian, giving Chris a week off from intro duties, and on today's episode, you'll hear our long-awaited interview with the one and only Colton Clark, the best beat writer in this great state covering your University of Idaho football team. We spent a lot of time mining every angle we could to digest the 2019 season, and we know you'll like it. But first, a couple housekeeping items to get through. Due to our own time constraints, this interview is split into two parts. Part one, you'll hear both me and Chris going back and forth with Colton. Then part two is just me and Colton finishing out our 2019 postmortem. Because the interview took place over a few days, a couple of the topics we touched on have evolved, or we know a little bit more about them now than we did at the time. So we're going to go over those right now. First, me and Colton talked about a junior college quarterback Idaho had been recruiting by the name of Dom Schaffner. Schaffner recently committed to FBS Conference USA member UNC Charlotte, meaning, of course, he's not going to be an Idaho Vandal anymore. There are other quarterbacks our Vandals are recruiting, which we'll address in our next episode, which will cover the early signing period. You can expect to see that in about a week's time. Second, me and Colton talked a little bit about Northern Colorado firing Ernest Collins, but since the recording, Northern Colorado hired former Denver Broncos wide receiver Ed McCaffrey as their new head coach. Expect me and Chris to go deeper into this topic on another episode, but considering no one had any expectations for UNC, this hire is at least on paper huge for them. And for the first time, maybe ever, the Northern Colorado fan base has reason to be ecstatic about their upcoming season in 2020. And last, but certainly not least, today's episode is brought to you by Montucky Cold Snacks. Ain't nothing like cracking a Montucky cold snack, an ultra-refreshing light beer born right here in majestic Big Sky Country. The best part is, when you crack a snack, you're giving back. Montucky Cold Snacks donates 8% of all profits back to local causes, even right here in Idaho. 8% of their profits are donated to local organizations like CW Hogs and Idaho Food Bank. Yeehaw! That's freaking awesome. Montucky Cold Snacks, the light American lager for pow pow rippers, gator rangers, pony riders, and badass do-gooders. Visit MontuckyColdSnacks.com today to find out how to get ya ass some snacks. And without further ado, please enjoy our long interview with Colton Clark. Today we have special guest the one and only beat reporter covering the University of Idaho from the Lewiston Tribune. Colton Clark himself is in the house. Colton, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. What's going on, guys? You know, it is it's great to have you here, Colton. We, we spent our last episode uh, talking a decent amount about how the season ended. And one of the things we wanted to do was to take a deeper dive, uh, both statistically and both, you know, experientially, let's say, and you know you you've been covering the Vandals for quite some time. So, uh, do you mind giving us a quick intro about you know who, who you are, Colton? How long you've been covering the Vandals? Um, you know how long you've been covering football specifically? Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I'm just uh, you know I'm a 25 year old, so I'm pretty young. Uh, I'm from way up north Idaho, Priest River up near the Canadian border. I went to went to Idaho, graduated uh, what, two and a half years ago now. So I covered them throughout college. So I guess I'm going on seven years with the same football team. I mean, I've been with Paul Petrino basically from the start. And <laughs> so, yeah, I've kind of seen seen all the highs and lows of this whole 
this whole Bob Petrino era. Um, yeah, yeah, that's covering football about. I've been covering football about as long as I've been covering the Vandals. So, was your first year Petrino's first year? Um, let's see. No, I think it would have been his second year when I first started because my freshman year I didn't really cover them at all. I was mostly kind of relegated to the the non-revenue sports. But then I started getting into football, and it would have been 2014. Then it was kind of like you could see them improving, improving. And then 2015 and 16 were really fun, obviously. 17 was all right, and then and then I started professionally with the 18 season. It was my first like professional season on the beat. Um, yeah, so <laughs> this is the first time I was. I mean, I was getting paid at the Argonaut, but not paid, paid. Really. Yeah. So aside from you know some of the stuff our listeners probably know about following the season. Were, were these last two years, in particular this year, did, did they seem different to you covering the team? It, there seemed like there was more optimism this year. I think the, the players, the players had a different. You, you could tell maybe there was a little bit of confusion last year. You know, maybe I don't want to say apathy, but I had said that at the start of the year. I, I had talked to Paul Petrino a bit about it, and he said, "Yeah, maybe that was one of the explanations as to why we were bad." because you know no one really knew what was going on everybody was still kind of confused no n- nobody was really sold on the big sky i don't think yet or, i mean there were some and obviously football's football and they're going to play to win but I, I think a lot of the guys especially sunbelt guys felt like they were they were kind of given the short end of the stick there but and then after they were humbled by all these guys and i i think they had a little bit more fire going into this season and, and you can kind of tell talking to them there they were a little bit more enthusiastic and then you see they pinpointed all these all the rivalry games. Obviously, Montana was horrible, but Idaho State and Eastern Washington, no one expected that. And that, that that's basically what they can hang their hats. Just those two games are basically what they can <laughs> hang their hats on this year. It, that's what I kind of felt. It was like they felt embarrassed after 2018. So it was, you know, I think somebody had said, oh, oh here we go, revenge tour. And, you know, I, I agreed with agree with that to some extent. Let me ask it a different way. So I read MMQB. That's your that's your editorial. Mm-hmm. That, that's published in the Lewiston Tribune. It's also published in Moscow Poland Daily News. By the way, if you guys go to muckrack.com and search Colton Clark, you'll find a listing of every place his stuff's published, which it's it's more than just Lewiston Tribune and Moscow Poland da- Daily News. But uh, in MMQB, that is essentially the only editorialized coverage of the Vandals um, in a in a newspaper. Um, it's not it's a you know we do an editorialized coverage but you this is like the only thing that let's say non-podcast listeners would read and let's say um give some legitimacy legitimacy to immediately because it's in newspaper you've are, in reading your mmqbs there are times where it seemed that the paul mason dynamic made this year really odd or weird or uncomfortable or something like that um, no, I'm not necessarily saying for you. I'm saying from a football spectator standpoint. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? And if that's correct, can you try to uh, give us some context on that? Yeah, I would say so. Um, well, for me, it, it was kind of weird for me because, you know, it's it's such a big, glaring subject, and it's like this is like this is an oddity. Like this doesn't have. I don't care what college classification. Like you play a guy. He's your son. Okay, we see that happen. You know, father coaches play their sons. That that happens. But you play a guy that didn't really get recruited to play that position really at all, and then he becomes kind of the face of your team. 
that's odd. And, and it's such it's such a big story that you want to write about it every week, but you you can't. You don't want to like beat the dead horse like what I talked about in my in my last one. It was like I kind of want to take some time off of this, but at the same time, that's what this last two seasons will be remembered for. And it's so easy to see that, you know, and for the, from the fan perspective, like I get the frustration that, that completely makes sense. You know, that's basically, that's besides the, the, what people are saying, kind of the, toward the end of the Petrino era, besides being that it's going to be the Mason Petrino era. 18 and 19 that's it so that's why it's kind of weird it's like there's so many other standout players and kind of memorable memorable i don't know if i should even say that memorable games but most of it <laughs> all, you know well the eastern game i mean that is that's memorable there's still a seven win team that's there's a couple of them in there but just this whole quarterback controversy thing going on and not recruiting another guy and then having lewiston versus pullman as the, as the two quarterbacks mm-hmm. You know, I, basically, I, I'm sorry I couldn't give you a better answer here, but like that, I think that's what just stands out to me is that the the 18 and 19 will be remembered predominantly as the Mason Petrino era, and I think that's kind of weird. Just it's a father son thing. That's what the return of the big sky. Not not the return of the big sky. I don't think that 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 that'll probably be like. Oh yeah, also they came back to the big sky, but mostly it was the coach playing his son. So I think that's like the main thing is that's it, it just kind of leapfrogged everything. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I got it. Uh, Mason Petrino coming out of Pullman high school. Um, only offer was Idaho and he was listed as an athlete. Two stars though. Two stars. Two okay. stars. 69th in Washington, 237th athlete overall, 3,864th in the nation. Hmm. Man, that's eight top top four thousand. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. And you know, Washington's a deep state, so 69th in Washington's not bad. But uh, no. I always thought he was actually. I could have swore when I he got signed, he was a wide receiver. But apparently, well, it was athlete. Was. So, and I, yeah, it was like I think that in the the initial recruiting report, he was listed as a quarterback. When, when I think it was Theo who wrote that, mm-hmm. uh, Theo Lawson spokesman. Uh, I think he was listed as a quarterback at first, and then pretty promptly he was changed to wide receiver, and he, he played a lot of reps in, I think it was 17. 2017, he played some reps at receiver. But then he also, in kind of garbage time, he'd come in at quarterback. And I've seen some people, I've gotten emails from people that said, oh, oh man, that's a bad, bad omen. Here we go. Like when he was getting, I think he got some reps at UW. Yep, against Wild him and Amos. Both right. Did. And against Missouri the next year, I'm pretty sure he got – like the whole, basically half the third quarter and all the fourth quarter at quarterback, and it, it, at that point you're like, nah, this isn't this. They're not gonna do this." And then it became more and more apparent. Oh my God, they're trending in that. Oh my God, here they go. They're really gonna do this. They're gonna start Mason. Yeah, yeah I remember before the 18 season, everybody talking about how it was gonna be. They're like, "Well, it's obvious that Mason Petrino is gonna get it. It's obvious." And I was like, "You know, like I don't think so. You know, there's a lot of hope on." Colton Richardson, and I was like, you know, I think they're definitely going to have a true competition. And then when he won it, or, you know, I was like, all right, you know what? Like, he won it. Let's give him a shot. And to be fair, the beginning of last year wasn't as bad, I feel like, as the beginning of this year was. So I was kind of like, you know, maybe. And then as the season went on, it became obvious. But I do remember going into the 18 season being like, 
no, like, everyone's just freaking out. Paul's going to play the best guy. Like, he knows his job. Like, it's to win football games. And then, you know, we, there's a lot of opinions on if that was the right call or not, obviously. And that's what we're talking about. The last two years have been, will be judged on, was he the best guy we should have been putting in there for two straight seasons? Right. And, and you know, I've had people also message me saying, like, you know, I've, I've written these editorials that have sort of criticized this whole thing, but people are like, oh, like, like, why didn't you ask Paul if it was nepotism or anything? It's like, well, you can't just straight out say that. <laughs> yeah. like, he's not going to answer that. You have to you have to kind of work your way around it. So I have asked him things like, for example, you know, what had what did Mason do in 2018 and 19 that made you believe that he was better than the guys on your roster and better than guys that you could recruit? And his answer for that is usually something around along the lines of, you know, he knows the game really well. He can read a defense, and he can he can make checks, and he always makes the right checks. That was kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. Or he's tough. He's gritty. And th- those were kind of the answers that again. I keep you keep in those same answers, and you're just like, all right, man. Like you know, I- I'm done with this. I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write what I'm gonna write. You know, it's it's my opinion on this whole thing. And I, I think it's it's kind of shared by a lot of people. I mean, yeah. Give the amount of messages I've got on that. But yeah, 2018. I remember in spring camp, because I think uh, Richardson had a, his ankle was hurt. He was wheeling around on one of the the those single like where you kind of have your knee up. He was, he was mm-hmm. wheeling around on one of those. And I remember the talk was that oh well, there's the starting quarterbacks missing some spring time. A lot of people assumed I think already that it was like oh it's Colton like he he's the quarterback, mm-hmm. and then it's like well Mason's kind of you know he's the athlete right. He'll he maybe do some wildcat stuff. It'll probably be like a rotational slot guy, and that I'm not trying to get off track here, but I thought that I wish I would have put this in a column. That I wonder, I want to know how people would think about this if Mason would have remained. So say he was like a rotational receiver, say for for throughout his his Idaho career he stayed as a wide receiver, yeah. and he was a slot guy who got some reps, you know, had a couple of catches a game. Would would people be all right with that? Is that like, oh yeah, this is fine. I mean, sure, yeah, it's. He recruited him, and you know he's playing him, and maybe he's not the most deserving to play at re- receiver. But you know, I think maybe he would instead turn to like pseudo fan favorite of sorts. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Kind of like how Montana, like they don't talk about it as much. Um, but you look at the fact that you know Robbie Houck is playing starting safety for them, mm-hmm. and there are some people that do believe that he is not the best safety on the team, but. He is the coach's kid at a position that's a little bit, well, a lot less important than quarterback, but, you know, still pretty important. But he makes enough plays, much like I think Mason probably would have been able to do as a, you know, crafty little slot wide receiver. But people in Montana don't complain too much about Robbie Houck starting at uh, uh, Montana. But then you look at like a direct comparison to Dan Hawkins lost his job at Colorado for starting his son at quarterback. So. Right. I feel like there is like if you're a coach, I just think anytime you put your son at quarterback, it's it's just kind of unfortunately a lose lose. Yeah, you're playing with fire for yeah. sure when you're doing that. I mean, maybe not somebody with as as much job security as as Paul has. That I yeah. think that might play a part in it too. Um, no, when you say job security, you of course mean the contract. Right, right, yeah, and the athletic department deficit. You know, you can't really you can't. Basically, you can't fire him unless you want to. I mean, it's going 
go even deeper in the hole. I, you're not going. I don't see that happening. You know, mm-hmm. I see him more years at, at least. I, I I haven't heard anything either. You know, I, I I don't expect that I will unless you know some crazy Chris Peterson-esque type thing comes down where he just just steps down or something. I mean, I, I don't see it honestly. But you know, it's not really my place to to make that call either. So. No, and I still think that maybe with this out of the way, we might see a little bit more of 2016 and 2017, where 2017, I think a lot of people just remember that we didn't make a bowl, but they forget that we played like the last four games without, you know, Matt Linehan. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah. and, you know, we won the last, once again, that was kind of the start of Mason, and then we put in Colton in the last game against, I think it was Georgia State, and yeah. he played really good. So, I mean, I think... I do think that this was kind of a way, you know, it happened right when Paul finally kind of what some people would say turned around the team. Um, but I don't know. I'm still a believer that we might still have something good going. It's just he had a roadblock in his way. Yeah. I'd love to see a QB competition in the spring. Maybe have a have a transfer in there. Nyer versus Richardson versus a transfer. Yeah. That'd be fun. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. I've been waiting for something like that. And to try to... And for our listeners, we are trying to move past the Mason thing. Uh, right. There's, we'll be off that pretty quick. Uh, one question I got for you, Colton. It's from uh, from a guy on All Vandals. It's an anonymous handle. Um, he wanted to know. Now, you in your last MMQB column, you did use the term nepotism. Right. In now, I read through just about every one of those this year, and that term wasn't. To, I don't recall that term being used until the end. And the, the question is, um, is there a reason it took so long for you or anyone else to use that term directly? Well, you know, I think I'd used the word bias before, like a, a, a bias toward his son. I think I maybe done that after the Northern Colorado game. I, I don't know. I You know, I could have easily used that term after the Northern Colorado game. Because, well, at this point, I think I was just – I was like, well – you know, this is it. This is the end of the era, and this is what the era will be remembered for. And it's it's just at this point, it's like it's so clear that you you just have to. At the I, I just while I was writing, it, I figured I was like, you got to throw it in there because this is the definition of it. You know, like like I you know I don't have like a specific answer as to why I decided to use it in that in that case. I just think I wanted to drive the point home a little bit more and and, and close the season with like yes, that's that's what by all appearances that's what it appeared that's what it seemed to be and yeah that, that's basically it and then so related clear. to that in in a lot of I, li- I listened to a decent amount of press conferences and it seemed like the issue of mason playing and the like bias or nepotism was something that and you're of course not the only person asking questions so this isn't necessarily about you it's more like you're an you're a reporter you know the insides of this better than non-reporters do it seemed like even after some of Mason's pretty bad games, um, the there, the question of, hey, why is this dude playing wasn't addressed that often. Uh, it was referenced in the Portland State game after he was pulled. Uh, do you, like, what would be your, I don't know, your hot take, I guess, on why it didn't seem like there was as much uh, pushback from the press while the games were taking place about Mason playing? Or if you, by the way, you might not even agree with that premise. Um, but that's that's part of the question is why did it seem like there wasn't as much antagonism towards 
the Mason Paul dynamic throughout the last two seasons during the seasons? Well, I think during it, you never knew if he was going to, in 2018, at least, you didn't know if he was going to kind of break out of that funk at some point because so you didn't want to really jump on the whole like the nepotism bandwagon that early because you're trying to remain objective like you know I, I and we've heard the same thing like when we have asked about like you know to assess his game or whatever like you know why why is he remaining in or anything like that you kind of get the same answer you know like, like Paul tends to he's not he, he can give you some good quotes sometimes but he's he might not give you exactly what you're looking for for your story so you kind of got to go overarching and just have him assess his game. And, uh, like, I think against Weber, I, I asked him something about ball security like that. And he, he just says, you know, we can't be doing that. He can't be doing that. And that's what you get. That's what you get back. So it's it's kind of like, well, I can ask this question and, and waste a little bit of time basically by getting the same answer. But on that same note, I am planning to give you guys this. So, so some people are probably like, oh, no, that's BS. But I'm planning on doing when because Mason's inevitably going to get a coaching spot somewhere, right? So I'm planning on using this as an opportunity to have Paul defend himself for these last two years. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna obviously write it about Mason. Good for Mason. He's gonna, gonna gonna have this job, you know. Good kid. He's I think he's gonna be a good coach. I think we've seen that when he was injured, he was really helping out in the Idaho State game. So I'm gonna ask Paul basically to like defend his choices over the last two years why was mason the guy to go with uh do you did you, after some games like maybe like well let's his in northern colorado or three tournaments against uh weber state or against or in montana that it was you know not really having time defense being in his face things like that some some deflection there sometimes you just get the same answer and you just don't want to keep asking the same question getting the same answer but i, I will be asking some of those questions like why was he the guy over potential recruits or the guys that you have on your roster? I'll try and go a little bit deeper in there. And then if he comes back with like the, the checks and stuff like that, I think I'll hit him with more follow-ups. So hopefully I'll have something like that before the winter's over. Which is a great transition point uh, to go over a couple of things from the season. Um, so Colton, I'm curious about your post-mortem Obviously, we'll probably this will uh, encapsulate bringing up Mason again. The goal is not to just talk about him exactly, but we have to. Could you give us your postmortem on the 2019 season? You just kind of a review. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, your interpretation of what went right, what went wrong, and um, you know any any other interpretations you think uh, you know would be useful for someone because you know, remember you're the expert man you're there for all the press conferences you're you're there for all the games you're 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 there for practices you have more info than this than just about everyone so i figured you would be able to give give our listeners pretty good insight in what you feel went wrong and what went right this year well offense i mean the, besides you have run young running backs you have a lot of injuries an offensive line that played way way below expectations and a quarterback who regressed after having a below middling season somehow got worse he had a lot of pressure best best parts of that you had a great one-two punch at receiver but not much depth under them I mean, Cotton, obviously. Cotton was the wind of the sails. He was the guy that he, you know, usually your quarterback's the guy who, who's kind of the rally or rah-rah, get the guys fired up, you know, keep the momentum going. That was Jeff Cotton. 
and it was so obvious throughout the season that that was his role. So when he was out, you just deflated. Um, so I'm a little bit of a setback from an already what what they were like eighth in offense last season, and they're like ninth this season, something like that. I would say that there wasn't much of a change from 18 to 19, and I think a lot of that can be a lot of the losses actually can be attributed to the kind of muzzled offense throughout this throughout the season. You know, you're watching highlights of you know the FCS first round playoff games from last week, and you're saying, could Idaho have made that play? No. Could I? What about that that one? No, no. So just not explosive on offense. And then young running backs, I think that really hurt. Andre Carter was good in his spurts of when, when he wasn't missing four total games. And But uh, Romano was all right. He was a bruiser. But he, you know, you could tell he wasn't the most experienced. Obviously a true freshman. He's not always reading the gaps. Uh, Thick Penn, you could tell that he had kind of a year. He had to take quite a bit of time to adjust to that. I think the defense made a big jump, and I think that's because that they finally – well, at least what Christian Ellis said is that they adjusted to kind of the hurry-up tendencies of their opponents. It wasn't as much – and they were playing better around the edges. That was a big part. They were getting gashed around the edges, especially by quarterbacks. But this year, I think Davis Alexander was only league quarterback that had actually a good rushing game, and he had, he had 90, and Case Cook has had about 60 yards. So that was a big improvement I saw containing the mobile quarterbacks and also just getting set and getting the calls in. You could tell that last year guys were still talking and like pointing and yelling at each other and the ball snapped and they're already a second behind. You didn't see that as much this year. And I think that that was number five overall defense, something like that. First and pass efficiency, sixth or seventh in rushing, fifth in conference rushing defense. I, I think the defense, there's a lot to be excited about. Just you just lose Hightower, you just lose Cedric Thomas. Those are the only two guys on the entire two-deep depth chart that are gone. And I think and then, the five makes a big... And then the question, of course, about when Econo can come back. Right, yeah, well, you know, ACL injury, uh, we asked Paul directly about it, and he said, yeah, he'll be back next year. That was his... Oh, okay. Yeah, so so that that's looking good. Hopefully it's... You know, I, I think that's about a year recovery... So I, I think probably at the worst, you'll miss a couple of games. Yeah, I think it's like 30, 30-something weeks, like 36 or 38 weeks. So okay. you know, 52 in a year, so yeah, you're looking about usually healthy about two two to three months you know, okay. before it got hurt. So we he should be good right around you know, probably media days, I'd guess, probably like July. Nice. Okay, good. I'm yes. not a doctor, though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's going to be huge. And then yeah, just have that's the, I think you can make an argument that that's the best, best linebacking core in the Big Sky. And that's mm-hmm. one thing I think Petrino's just con- consistently succeeded in getting good linebackers. I, I think Idaho, they, you can kind of think of it like think of the last four four years or so. Think of all the good linebackers who've come through. It, it's sort of become a linebacking school in a sense. And I think they they're really lucky that they have that Ellis connection. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh... I guess that's something I haven't even looked at. Oh, the youngest Ellis isn't even – he's not a senior yet, is he? He's like a f- no, sophomore. sophomore. Uh, Grades-wise, sophomore. Uh, he can le- he can earn an extra year, I think, if he's eligible academically. Uh, by the end of this, this year, then he can earn an extra year. It's yeah. a weird thing. Oh, I meant – sorry, I'm not talking about Noah. I'm talking about uh, Moscow High. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. – uh, I think he's a junior. Yeah, because he's getting sure. offers, I know, to like Oregon State and a couple other big ones. But oh. you hope that 
dad being there and brothers have gone there that maybe we have that uh that drive because he we were i had the luxury of watching him versus pullman this year and he's a stud i mean he's further along than christian and i think caden were when they first came just in terms of like body mass probably because he has d1 athlete brothers now um but like i remember like christian and caden when they both showed up were kind of small um and then the youngest one he's already pretty well built so and he's playing linebacker and like tight end and wide receiver so he's pretty stud athlete so we're lucky that the noah lfc disappeared midway through the season i heard it was you know, the speculation is that it was an injury. It, it, nobody would exactly confirm it, but it, it, I think it was against Weber, I want to say. Don't quote me on that, but I, I believe it was Weber, and he went down, and it seemed like he was limping along, and then you just didn't see him the rest of the year. Yeah, it, I think it was a leg injury, and so that that was too bad because you're just like, oh, you're so excited to see this guy play, and then you just you didn't see barely any of what you expected. Yeah. And so I felt like when he was out the whole season, I was like, ah, he was one of my impact players in the preseason. Damn it. Yeah. Which is funny. Like yeah. when you look back on like Paul, uh, cause obviously we were all there at media days. He kind of said what he, his, one of his goals was, was to have a big sky newcomer of the year. He said, we've brought in so much talent. Um, we should be able to get a guy like Noah or Trey Walker or, Devontae Jenright, and, you know, he listed a couple of guys, I think a couple of offensive guys. Yeah, Coyote Rufai. He listed a couple of them, and, we, you know, I don't think that's been announced yet, but I don't think any of them are going to get it. But No. Um, no. I but like I said, a lot of that was just because of injury. Like, not – I mean, maybe Trey Walker, but we'll see. Yeah, if, if you can consider him – I mean, he played a bit as a freshman, so I don't know if you can consider him a newcomer that's in that true. sense. I think he played, like, nine games last year. Maybe he played in all of them. Um, yeah, but he was kind of a rotational guy. So I, I don't know. I think, I think newcomers just transfers in or, or freshmen. Or freshmen. Yeah, you're probably right. So I, I mean, probably nobody. Ramada maybe could have a, could have a shot at it, but yeah, but he got hurt. There, there were other, like there, there were other guys probably around the sky that had probably better years. Yeah. Yeah. New, newcomer of the year was Marcus Knight for University of Montana. Oh, okay. That, yeah, that's that makes sense. Yep. He was leading everybody by a mile in touchdowns. So, yep. so we didn't accomplish that goal either. No, no, not that one. No man, <laughs> Is uh, there one? a defensive, a slight defensive improvement. I guess there you go. There's your goal. Yeah. You did it. Which is weird because yeah, I feel like last year our defense was actually like athlete wise better, but this year I think we nailed it. They they're a little bit younger and they seem to have gelled a little bit more as a unit. Where I feel like last year we had, you know, with Christian and Caden and Ed Hall and Trey Walker, like we had most of the big pieces here last year, but they definitely looked like a completely different unit this year compared to last season. Yeah. And yeah, I think maybe just experience. That's, it sounds like cliche to say it, but it's, it's, man, it's so true. Especially when you're 20 years off from a league, you've played a few of those opponents throughout the year, but the, the program hasn't played these guys. These are teams that are playing each other every year. I mean, obviously the Big Sky's a wacky conference, so they're not really doing that, but they're familiar with each other. And in comes Idaho, and you're just like, oh, man, we, we've seen film on these guys, but we've never lined up against them. And just being able to have lined up against these teams for one, at least once, I think that actually works wonders well and i had a question for you here 
one of my takes on Idaho these last two years is particularly last year, we definitely had some strengths, but our areas of weakness were just god awful glaring in mm -hmm. you know it, when you compare them to our areas of competence. I feel like that mostly held this year. The big difference being our pass defense was definitely better this year. You know, last year we were 12th in pass defense efficiency. We gave up 20 passing touchdowns, picked off just three passes. This season we were first in pass uh, efficiency defense, gave up 11 touchdowns and seven interceptions. Completion percentage dropped from 59.9 to 53.3. Um, that to me is, a, is an indication that um, some of the recruitment did address that that huge issue of being able to guard no one who could throw the ball last right. year. But it was offset by us having the either worst or second worst quarterback who led the league in turnovers. Yeah. Yeah, I th yeah, you hit it on the head. So Christian Nash, that was huge. Jalen Hoop for moving cornerback, I think that was huge. I guess he was a nickel, like a nickel cornerback. Because Mike Bresky last year, he, he admitted he's like, we didn't play any nickel. We would just do kind of our base set, like 4-3. But this year, they would rotate out a linebacker and play an extra DB a lot of the times just because they were gashed so badly last year by any kind of competent quarterback would just slam them over the top. And uh, and, and they had the safeties. It was, it was It's kind of weird how they lost Devontae Ginwright midway through – or late September. And mid-September, Satchel Escalante, who was kind of an expected starter in the preseason, he transfers out. And you're like, oh, wow, well, there's no depth at safety now. And then Cedric Thomas moves over to safety, plays okay throughout the season. Tyrese Dedman, I think Satchel Escalante transferred because Tyrese Dedman beat him out uh, in, like, an ongoing position battle. And Tyrese Dedman had a great last four weeks of the season. I mean, he I think he forced four turnovers in the last three games. He, uh, he, I think he took a step up being a, you know, being a junior. And then, obviously, Lloyd Hightower running the group and having versatility there when you have Eppinger can play both safety and corner both sides of corner Hoover can play either side of corner and he can play safety if need be Muji Brufai just kind of an extra body back there if you need him so I even though they lost the two guys they had a little bit more depth than they had last year they had more experienced guys they had lengthier guys they had faster guys and Jalen Hoover I, I think Jalen Hoover at corner that I that's sort of under the radar, but I don't think that can be – I don't think you should understate the, how big that was. Because if you go back and watch – I was just watching a bunch of the game film. Hoover was put on islands a lot, one-on-one, -on -one, and he had a lot of those where it looked like he got beat and he kind of just stretched out at the end and fingertip one out of the way. Like, he was actually – he played really well at corner this year. So – Yeah, but, which that relates to another defensive improvement. These are big sky stats real quick. So last season – our, our turnover margin was negative five. We lost, we had 11 lost turnovers and forced just six. This season, we had a negative five turnover margin again, but we we more than doubled the amount of forced turnovers to 13. You know, last, 2018, we forced three fumbles, three interceptions, 2019, forced six fumbles that, that we recover and pick off seven passes. The downside is our turnovers mm -hmm. near doubled as well at the yeah. same time yeah because we were talking uh, last five. year about what it took four or five weeks so we're going to jump right in where we left off we were talking about the post-mortem on season colton and 
your take, broadly speaking, was uh, our defense definitely improved from 2018, 2019, no question. Uh, and statistical rankings, broadly speaking, bear it out. You know, our passing defense in 2018 was atrocious. Uh, passing defense definitely improved in 2019. Uh, the big problem for us is our offense went off a cliff. And I want to spend a few seconds going over some stats because on paper, our stats from 2018 to 2019 do not look as bad as they truly are. And that has 100, that's hundred percent related to the NAU game at the end of the season. Uh, now, if you, if you look up, you know, if you go to bigsky.com or bigskyconf.com and open 2019 stats, Idaho in conference scored 26.1 points per game, which is an increase over 2018, 20, where we were at 24.4. We scored 28 touchdowns versus 25 touchdowns. Uh, but we, we had more field goal attempts, nine, uh, this season than seven last year, we only made four. But again, th- those stats are completely misleading. I'm going to go through our stats minus the NAU game real quick. Uh, scoring offense, conference only stats. If you remove NAU, we're like 2019, if you count NAU, we were the number 10 scoring team in the conference, which is not good in the first place. If you remove NAU, we're at 21.3 points per game, 13th place which is three points below Cal Poly, who's the next next worst. And we only scored 20 touchdowns, which shifts down from 3.5 a game, counting NAU to 2.8 a game, uh, which, like I said, bad. Uh, but if if you look at only games, FCS, FCS games, where Mason started, we scored 19.9 points per game, which is even further down 13th. Only 19 total touchdowns, 2.7 a game. If you look at conference-only stats when Mason started, we're at 17.5 points per game with 14 touchdowns or two touchdowns per game. More or less, our offense was so abominable when Mason played, we would have had to have North Dakota State's defense and Weber State's defense, some hybrid, to be close to competitive. Yeah, exactly, or JMU, something like that. So so Colton, so was that your experience, you know, reporting? I want to make sure I'm not living in hot take world too much. Was your experience yeah. of watching the game mostly that you thought we were as bad as like the Mason only stats? That I would say that that's fair. I mean, it's a scoring, like we, we kind of talked about, it, it's a scoring conference. And when you're scoring 20 points per game, no wonder you have a losing record, two losing records in a row. I, I It's in a weird way. Like, can you think of any really – 2018 versus 2019, any edge? Obviously, Cotton's improvement. That's an edge. I think maybe the running back core this year was maybe a little bit better than the Saunders-Walker combo last year. There's maybe that, but as far as finishing drives and then killing yourselves with penalties, this year was just, oh, God. And, yeah, if you look at – look, I'm looking at the numbers too right now. And NAU, we know that they lost, what, 30 guys, 30 defenders – to either transfer or season-ending injuries, that's arguably the worst defense in the FCS. Like, yeah. by a so I'm going to jump in real quick, Colton, and to, just to buttress that, NAU did not lose their starting quarterback, any of their top three receivers, or their top running backs. So all their skill position players were untouched. It was defense and some of their linemen. That's it, which is why it looked like they couldn't guard anyone against us because they couldn't. Right. There were a bunch of bunch of walk-ons basically out there playing against Jeff Cotton. It was Jeff Cotton versus the walk-ons. 
And uh, Mason, Mason, I mean, he can read a defense. He knows how to read a defense. So I, that must have been cake there. I, I will say he can do that. I think it's just more of the natural, like, a limitations there as far as getting it there and then sometimes maybe not reading pressure as much. But, yeah, man, the, the off – I don't know if you want to add something onto that. Uh, what other edges between – was 2018 – the line, I think, was better in 2018. 2019 was just – the line was way overhyped. Supposed to be – I kept hearing, oh, 26 – it's as good as the 2016 line. It's as good as the 2016 line or, or somewhere close to that. And it was just, no, no, everybody took a step backwards, man. It, it, it just fooled. I, maybe Logan Floyd playing a new position hurt. Noah Johnson kind of had an off year, and he would be the first to admit that. When I talked to him, he did admit that. He was like, I'm having too many penalties. I'm missing too many assignments. Uh, yeah, I think Logan Floyd not being a strong tackle hurt. Edwin Grande and Toulette are serviceable, I guess, but they were guys would outspeed him around the edge. I think that was a, a big hit. And then just having last year, I think, Cotton Unger and Haywood altogether, that's an edge overall in the receiving core, whereas it was literally just Cotton and Haywood this year. Whitney got a few outside, you know, a few little dump-offs, but – that was basically there was no true third receiving option behind him. Speaking of that, Kevin McGuire, <laughs> he was kind of supposed to be that guy, but he got hurt in the summer. And then, as we know today, just you know, Monday, December 9th, Kevin McGuire, I find out Kevin McGuire has transferred out of the program. So that hurts because that's like the best recruit Idaho's had in like nine years as, as far as 24 7 sports rankings go. And that, yeah, he's gone. So he's at a junior college somewhere, so that doesn't help. But you want to add what other position groups do you think? Or, or I think that's that's basically it. It doesn't seem on paper you would think, oh, this offense is going to be a little bit better or maybe the same, just based on, or especially thinking the O line is going to be better. And then you like you have a deeper running back core. You expect DJ Lee to maybe step up in the receiving core, and then. Obviously, with a year of improvement, you think uh, Mason's going to be the starter, but you know maybe he'll be a little bit better. And I, I don't know. What do you think, man? I got to jump back. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to fixate on Mason, and the great news is we're almost done ever having to talk about this, but the NAU game added 50 yards per game to Mason's passing – his passing yards. Sorry, actually, no, I just misspoke. I gave a way too generous description. The oh. NAU game added 50 yards per game to our total offense average in the FCS. Oh. Yeah, like in okay. conference, we're at 411.2 yards per game. If you subtract the NAU game, conference only, we're down to 364.4, which is 12th, 12th place. Yep. Uh, if, you, <laughs> yeah, if you subtract the NAU game, our passing offense goes from – 239.6 per game to 203 per game. Uh, Mason threw he threw three uh, he threw seven touchdowns in conference heading into that game, then threw six touchdowns that game, so it made our passing touchdowns look respectable. Uh, like seriously, that NAU game we got between 30 and like 45 percent of some of our stats. It's astounding. That is that is crazy. That's as as ultimate as a garbage time as you can get in, in college football. Meaningless game between two four-win teams. Worst defense. Let's pad the whole entire season. Well, not just pad our stats for this game. Let's pad the season, man. That's, yeah, that's, that's basically what happened. 
that's historic. And then you brought up two things that I want to get to. One is penalties. So last season, we were fourth in the conference in penalties at uh, 47.8 penalty yards per game, 45 total penalties. This year, surprise, surprise, we were last place, 73 total penalties at 79.1 yards per game. And that's with, you know, our heading into NAU, our 12th or 13th rank, depending on which stat you look at offense. We just can't afford to do that, uh, which a hey, hot take, duh, you can't afford to piss away 79 yards per game in penalties. Uh, but also right. you talked about Don't the line. Yeah. Our sacks against went up by three in conference. Uh, but I also think some of that, some of that's probably a little, misleading in looking in three total sacks doesn't sound like a huge amount, but we also know uh, though we've ragged on uh, Mason for a ton of turnovers. Some of those strip sacks were not his fault. Right. And you would, you would definitely attribute some of those strip sacks to, he was not getting the protection like he Mm -hmm. got last season. Right. Uh, Sometimes missing a guy and he just got slammed in two seconds. Yeah, exactly. Which goes to your point of, we had some pretty serious regression and there's one more thing I want to go over uh, so we can – before we uh, end, end the postmortem, I guess, which is some of our stats do look improved. We played a weaker schedule this season than we did last year. At least I believe we, we played a weaker schedule. You know, last season we had – we the worst loss we had last year was Idaho State or Montana. Those two teams were fringe playoff teams that played themselves out of the playoffs last week of the season. Right. We lost to to Northern Colorado this year, and then were shut out by Portland State. Uh, we had more shots against the dregs of the conference because we also you know, we also beat Cal Poly as well mm-hmm. uh, than we had last year. Last year we seriously had two shots against uh, the worst of the conference. We had sorry in twenty eighteen we had Portland State and Southern Utah. We won both those games. Uh, then we had a, a good win against North Dakota. We had more shots against the lower the lower end of the conference because you know we we there's a five way tie for last place, and our wins came against uh, tied for last place NAU, <laughs> tied for last place Cal Poly, right? <laughs> yeah, tied for last place Cal Poly, tied for last Idaho State. <laughs> yep, and tied for last Idaho State. <laughs> The very the one you'd throw out as the difference, which kind of matches 2018, is um, we beat Eastern Washington, who turned out to be a fringe playoff team, probably one of the last uh, five out. They weren't one of the last four out, but they're probably one of the last eight out. Mm-hmm. We also yeah. didn't we didn't have to go against as many uh, some of the top quarterbacks. We didn't have to go against um, at full strength. You know, we got Kevin Thompson at Sac State his first came back. Uh, we got Dalton Sneed for a partial game. Uh, which we didn't get the partial games from guys last year, like Tanner Guller. He was there the whole time when we played Idaho State. Dalton Snead is there the whole time against um, Montana. Uh, so I guess w- what's your take on that? My feeling was we put up the stats we did against a weaker schedule. Uh, agree, disagree, what, or what am I missing? Um, Maybe slightly. I'm kind of more in the boat that it was like – it was almost – It. I, I think it ended up being almost the same just because three top ten. You know, I, th- I think that might might balance it out a little bit. You know, Weaver State in the top ten actually put up a fight against them, and they stuck in the top ten. I'm not counting Eastern Washington at number eleven. That that team didn't end up being top ten. I'm saying Sac State ended up being top ten. Weaver State ended up being top ten. Montana ended up being top. like those are like you can't argue that those are definitely top ten teams. 
Like they have to be. So last year, let's see, Eastern Washington was top ten. Okay, that that was the loss. Montana State wasn't. I think they were in the low teens last season. Um, I don't. Think yeah, they made the playoffs without a seed. Without they, they played in the first. Without a seed. Okay, so teens. I, I guess, I guess it would be around ten, maybe, maybe top ten. You can maybe make an argument. I didn't think Montana State looked like a top ten team last year. Uh, but you know, Eastern UC Davis. I guess it, yeah. You know, I would. I maybe I would agree with you on there. I, I, th- I still think it's. I still think it's right there, and if if there was an edge and strength of schedule last year, I, I think it's kind of minimal because you could say, yeah, UC Davis, Eastern Washington, and um, uh, who, who's the the third top ten last year? Let's see, it would have just been Weber last year. Yeah, we didn't, and we didn't play Weber. Yeah, Weber was seated in twenty eighteen as well. So they're. they're and we didn't two play. top ten teams, maybe three if you count Montana State last year. This year, and arguably three so, top ten teams, for sure. Let me put it a different way. I, I'm gonna. You, you may have slightly moved my point, so I'll try to make it more nuanced. The toughest we played more top ten teams on this season versus last season. It, three this year, two last year. We played more of the floor of the conference mm. this season than we did last season. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. For sure. And we finished with the same. But that's what I'm saying is like maybe having one extra top 10 team makes up for the one extra or the two. That would be two extra floor teams, maybe in a way. But I think I would lean on your side there that it was a little bit easier. I don't think a lot, a lot easier, but I think a little bit easier. And you come out with the same record. That means that it's and it's very obvious that the defense got better. Right. I think we're, we're all in agreement here. So that means the offense didn't stay the same, but definitely got worse. And maybe the special the special teams did get worse too, giving up field position. I think that was a big part of it. Cade Coffey dropped from a top two punter to around six, I think, five maybe. And, now, and his field goal accuracy. Yeah, field goal accuracy. Uh, you know, I think he had been dealing with some, some lingering, I think it was like a, a hip thing or, or maybe thigh. It was a lower body issue, which <laughs> – not ideal for a kicker, right? Um, but at the same time, oh yeah, didn't mean that it yeah. put down at all. Just meant the accuracy right, yeah. it wasn't for one Objective, reason or another. Yeah, just look at the look at the numbers. Yeah, um, yeah, that just means there was definitely a re- big regression there against. Yeah, I would say maybe a game of an easier schedule, one game an easier schedule last year, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> and which that that leads me to the to Big Sky Awards. Uh, which I want to talk about uh, mostly from the Idaho's perspective. I'm going to read off some of the winners. Offensive player of the year, Kevin Thompson from Sacramento State. Co-defensive player of the year, Dante Olson from Montana and Jonah Williams from Weber State. Newcomer of the year, Marcus Knight, running back uh, from Montana, led the league in touchdowns. Freshman of the year, Nick Eaton, linebacker from UC Davis. I've got no comment on him, but I, I hear he's a good freshman. Um Colton, first, any thoughts on the on the awards we just went over, or if you were vote, if one, did you vote, or is that is this I just coaches? coaches. Yeah. I, I okay, let's pretend you let's let's pretend the world shifted. You have yeah. a vote. Uh, your offensive player of the year. Do you feel okay voting feel for Kevin Thompson? That. You know, even though it, he might have not been, I mean, he was just as statistically impressive as the rest of them. And I'd say you give him an edge because it's Sac State. Good for them. Good for the Hornets, the mighty buzz, man. I'll, I'll throw him a vote. Yeah, good for him. 
<laughs> just because I feel good for him. Give him a pat on the yeah. back. Who doesn't? Even if you're an Idaho fan, you don't hate. No one hates Sac State, dude. Everybody was like, "Hey, cool, Sac State's good. Good for them." Well, yeah, it's because they've sucked for so long, which, by the way, Idaho is moving in that direction of sucking so long that people might just be yeah. congratulatory. I don't know, though, because people, people still which, have that grudge. I think they're even though I don't think the entire fan base is still like the, you know, FBS, FCS thing, but I think most people around the FCS think of Idaho people as, as like lording over them, you know, or feeling holier than thou. You see it on social media all the time, right? Just people like, oh, yeah, eat your humble pie. And a lot of Idaho people are like, dude, what? Come on. Like, I didn't like I didn't do this. Like, I'm not, like, saying I'm better than you. Like, no one said we're better than you. <laughs> but so I think it's going to still be a while well, before people which, start to feel sorry for Idaho if, if Idaho continues to be bad. Which that reminds me. So I've talked to and I've listened to a handful of people talk about Idaho. Um, so in the same way that some of the Idaho fan base is resentful of the Montana schools for not moving up because of the perception that if more schools were up, there would be this imaginary mm-hmm. conference we'd still be in. The Montana fan base from both schools, but especially University of Montana, is t- is still touchy about Idaho for moving up and theoretically believing that they are something more than Montana right. because they moved up. Have you had that experience? Just from things I've seen on like social media, yeah. I haven't really gotten the chance to talk to I get I guess I spent a little bit of time in Missoula and Bozeman, but it didn't seem like it. I mean I got crap when I when I was like I'm the Idaho beat writer just at a at a bar or whatever. And they're like, Oh, big boys. Like I got that once, maybe twice. Like and then they're just like, ah, I'm just kidding, man. And every time they go back to you all you keep I heard more from people in person. They're like, good, I'm good, glad they're back. Like, that's kind of fun. Like, but that's the extent of it. I think it's mostly just like, it's mostly Twitter stuff, maybe. And maybe, maybe well, I think it's just in. Were you there? Pressure, too. Were you there for the legendary media day in 2018? Oh, I actually, uh, I skipped media day 2018, sadly. I was with. Okay, you were not. You were not there for the infamous. We're going to get two rings, and no. then they got their well, asses kicked. Well, you know, no, I, I I read some transcripts of, of that. Was that big bullies and stuff like that too? What? Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Which for our big listeners, bullies. if you don't know, the infamous story is 2018 Media Day. Um, Idaho has a reputation for coming in like the Idaho players and coach. Um, apparently thought they were something better than the big sky. Kay Nellis was quoted saying, we're going to co- We're going to take two rings this year, big sky championship and national championship. I don't know who's quoted as saying they're going to be the boys of the big sky. Um, but from that, I have heard that story recounted by probably eight or nine different people about why, why they were pissed off about way. Idaho. Freaking dweebs. We're Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> For for our listeners, that was not part of the <laughs> chronicled event that <laughs> no, I no, no, I think it's funny. Hey, Nellis. Oh, man. Um, He's so nice. Why would you do that? That that seems like a pretty Kate Nellis thing. I can see, like, Christian yeah. saying that. Christian's a fun quote. He'll always say stuff like that. Like, after Idaho State or, or Eastern, he'd just be like, yeah, there was so much revenge. Like, we wanted to crush them. We hated them. Like, you're like, oh, all right, man. You don't hear that stuff. I I read those and I liked it. But now, so we can move through this part real quick. 
Defensive Player of the Year, Dante Olson and Jonah Williams. You know, Any disagreement I, you have? I've read a lot about Dante Olson. You know, I've only seen him play a few times. Unfortunately, when I'm covering Idaho, I usually don't get the chance to watch Big Sky. So the only time I get to watch it is in whatever. Like, I try and go back and find stuff on like YouTube. You know, and sometimes there's there's like full game streams, which is nice. But it seems like Olson plays faster than his size, moves side to side really well, sideline to sideline, good tackler. One problem I have with Dante Olson, I think, and I don't know if you have any Grizz people listening to this, they'll probably be like, no. But, dude, he had like double the assisted tackles as total tackles. When I see somebody that finishes the year in college football with like 150, 60, I'm like, ah, dude, I don't know. I feel like somebody's keeping some faulty stats there maybe a little bit, giving him, giving him a tackle for jumping on the pile. There you go. You earned it, man. Not saying – I'm not trying to take away from him. I'm just saying – Maybe it's a little iffy there, having that many and that many assisted. I, I know I'm right on that. It's like almost double the assisted tackles as totals. And the, but you know, I, I, defensive player of the year. I mean, coaches know best, right? And this guy, you know, he's always a difference maker. So he's he's still got it. I mean, who are you going to argue? I just say maybe maybe that Obina from Sac State could have vied for it a little bit because that guy was like top three in the nation in sacks for a while. Uh, I like Jonah Williams in there, the Gem State kid. That's kind of cool, Meridian guy. Um, I know that he was – I don't remember him really doing much against Idaho, and I haven't actually seen much of Jonah Williams. I think I'm just biased because I'm from Idaho, and it's like, hey, cool, an Idaho guy that went to Weber was <laughs> co-defensive co- player. That's interesting. But I don't know. I, have you watched Dante Olsen that much? I, I, well, I'm not probably awesome, but I'm just saying like yeah, that so- when I saw that stat, I was like, that is weird. Like, that's objectively strange. So my my take on Dante Olsen, who, by the way, just in big sky play, 41 okay, solo tackles, 68 assisted tackles for 13.6 total per game. Not double, but a, a, a lot more. Um, my take is Dante Olsen is damn good. I would love to have him on my team. Is it feasible that he's he had a couple assisted tackles rounded up? Possibly. I've heard that. I've heard other coaches reference that on different radio shows, but I think it's un, undeniable that he he has oh, yeah. a huge footprint on the game for Montana. Uh, so when I saw that name, uh, I had no pushback. I'm with you. I think George Obina should have been there uh, because the Sacks defensive line was to to me the most disruptive force in the league. Yeah. Uh, you know, At least he was first team. Oh yeah, he was first team, which was all right. But I, yeah, I wish Obina would have been acknowledged for that. That's all right. Um, and then jumping back for a quick hot take on offensive player of the year, it was a weird year because uh, Kevin Thompson and Dante, not Dante Olson, Kevin Thompson and Dalton Sneed should have been runners number one and two, but they both missed time for injuries. Um, mm-hmm. Eric Berrier had just incredible video game stats, but they're mostly accrued against dog shit teams when his team was out of the playoffs. <laughs> Um, so I'm okay with Kevin Thompson, although pretty big asterisk. Once he came back from injury, he did not play like an all big sky quarterback. And well, that, Idaho basically shut Thompson down. Yes. Uh, he, he didn't, he played poorly against Idaho. Didn't do that well against UC Davis. And then if you saw a playoff game, um, he struggled right. against Austin right. P. So um, I, I just think it was tough because the two best guys on the best teams missed time. So how the hell do you sort that out? Yeah. 
Don Sneed being honorable mention cracks me up. Like you watch what he did in the playoff game, you're just like, uh, dude, that honorable mention. That's a salute. Good job, Sneed. He's geez. along with every other starting quarterback in the league. I, we gotta we gotta fix this. What is this honorable oh, mention? Yeah. One guy says, hey, you had a pretty good game. They're like, oh, all big sky. You gotta you gotta vote. Uh, good for you. But it's we'll like get- even third team. Like what? Third team. Basically, you start your all league. We're going to touch honorable mention in a second because there's a dead horse for us to beat there too. But uh, Idaho first team players on offense, uh, Nick Romano as a kick returner. I didn't see that coming. I'm being real here. I was just like, oh, really? I know. I was like, he was pretty good. But like, if he would have been second team, I don't know. Maybe it was just kind of a shallow kick returning conference this year. I, I don't know. Nick Romano, he's pretty good. His average is 27. That's pretty good. He had that one touchdown that was, you know, that kind of kept him in it, but gave Ido maybe a little little bit of hope. But I don't know. Did you feel like, like watching Romano week after week, I was like, oh, he's good. He's going to be really good, especially in the future. I didn't see like, oh, that's that's first team all big sky kick returner. I don't know. Maybe I'm just overlooking special teams, but just that, that kind of surprised me. Yeah, so. I 100% agree. No. Uh, I wanted to put him as first uh, first team special team kick returner. Uh, first off, Rashid Shahid for Weber yeah. State is so good. People just won't kick to him. And then uh, Mal- I believe it's Malik Flowers on University of Montana um, mm-hmm. who just had one. You know, of the yeah, he just returned to kick for a touchdown playoff game. Um, he's another guy who I have no idea how that guy wasn't um, wasn't first team kicker. If it's not Rashid Shaheed, I don't know how it's not Malik Flowers. Uh, but then no other Idaho player made first team offense. Uh, first team defense, Christian Ellis made it at, at outside linebacker. Good for him. Um, yeah, I think the big guy's got a ton of good linebackers, um, yeah. but it's – you know, good for him. I, I have no problem with that selection. I'm happy for the guy. Um, just asterisk, Charles O'Connor would have been first-team defense had for he sure. not gone down. For sure. I, I yeah. mean, I, I don't – did we talk about it before? I was like, I think like four, three or four weeks after he went down, he was still top three in TFLs in the league. Or, or either that or still leading in TFLs, like to, uh, solo TFLs, like 12 and a half. Still number one, like three weeks, almost a month, almost a month after he got hurt, he was still. You're like, damn, <laughs> yeah. That, so he might have even vied for. I think we were talking about this before that he might have even vied for defensive player of the year if he would have stayed healthy all year. That guy was insane. Yeah, and, and if he's back next year, man, we we probably have the best linebacking core in the league for sure. Uh, I, I would agree with that, especially because I can uh, see somebody else coming in too. Or maybe even oh, yeah. Sol Shannon taking a huge step, and then him because he looked pretty good in his minutes as a freshman, and everybody's back in that core. I mean, Robert Miller, I think redshirted, he's back. Remember that that guy used to play at Memphis, and then he transferred to JUCO, went to the uh, JUCO in the same league as Gardner Minshew's old JUCO, actually. Fun fact. And then Jalen Jenkins got better as the season progressed. Kind of, kind of just a guy. He's kind of there, but he, you know, he's good. obviously Ellis Walker, Akano, solid. Leo Tamba behind solid that buck behind Chuck. And then uh, Kyle Perry, standpoint kid, got better as the season went on. 
Sully Shannon got better as the season went on. And then, uh, yeah, maybe Sully Shannon takes that other starting spot. I could see it. From Brophy Prep. That's a that's a great football school. But anyways, sorry, I digress. Go ahead. No, man, no, you're, you're here for the digressions, dude. Uh, but, uh, so second team offense. This is where I have a little bit of trouble with all Big Sky teams. Uh, Jeff Cotton, he made second team all offense. Uh, Noah Johnson made second team offense and as a lineman, and then Cottrell Haywood as a punt returner. So my, the thing I dislike is Cotton on second team, partially because, look, on the fir- first team wide receivers, Samari Ture at Montana, no brainer. Good. Uh, Pierre Williams at Sac State. Hey, you know, I'll, right. I'll give that. He was good. Sac State was good as well. JJ Koski from Cal Poly. Good what? Lord. I, that, uh, I, mean, I even saw him on Die Hard Montana. People like, what the hell? Like that is straight. That they robbed him. You can't agree, even objectively, man. Did one DB do anything to stop Jeff Cotton when he was playing all year? No, he no. Well, one defensive back who had success, any consistent success against Cotton all season. I can't at all. I tried to do this. I went through all the games. I was like, nobody. No, but in addition to that, he's not top 10 in receptions per game. He's not top 10 in receiving yards per game. He's like, he didn't make up for this by getting a billion touchdowns. Uh, I I just think it was atrocious. And Jeff Cotton, to me, you know, he averaged 117 and a half yards per game, averaged 8.2 receptions per game, only had four touchdowns in conference. Uh, Mm -hmm. But Keep in mind, he put up those stats with the second worst quarterback in the league throwing it to him. Yeah. He you also know, we saw against Penn State, so good for him. Dude, and we also saw the one game where we got to see Jeff Cotton catch balls beyond ten yards was Idaho State, and he had what like 130 yards at halftime, or yeah. like or some ridiculous number like that. They were just uh, Jeff Cotton going over guys, just mossing people. It's just like, God, just keep doing that. Even in Montana, yeah. Mason had a few over-the-top throws, boom, right down the near side, near sideline there. And Cotton just, yeah. There's a couple of them that are actually overthrown, but it, there was a, I, I think I remember two specifically were just out oh, easy. Oh, he's wide open. There's no one within six yards. Like, what happened? Like, he was just consistently open, and when he wasn't, you can just throw it up there, and he would just time his jumps perfectly every time. That was, I think, the main thing. How he, if you watch him closely, and it's just like it's so nice to watch. Just times the jumps. The, the DB's always way off, and he just goes well, right over him, just smooth. And then he's so strong too. He's like long, but he's also pretty big. That guy, that guy seriously could have a chance. Maybe he'll be like that old uh, Keelan Doss and be like the next Hard Knocks guy that they feature. <laughs> he had a tough time. Him out of JUCO, and they'll just keep saying, "Oh, hometown kid." Maybe it'll be like Cardinals or something. I don't know. Well, that or like like Simba Webster from Eastern yeah. Washington. He made starting with him. Yeah, you see, you see him. He was a starting punt returner last night. The Seahawks. I yeah. did not. Yeah, Simba Webster. They had him as number one guy. I was like, damn, <laughs> Eastern guy. And Cooper Cub just catching catching balls all over the Seahawks defense. Who knows, yes. man? They, they if you're like an all American, I think he's all American caliber. I think you could easily argue that, but it's not going to happen because 
you know, sadly, a lot of the All-American people, it's just, you just look at numbers. Actually, it makes sense, because what are they going to do? Watch all the film? It's That's tough. It's so it's so tough to be a national. That's why it's, you got to trust the, the local beat people, because this is all I do. I just go to practice every freaking day, and I, it's hard to pay attention to other teams across the country. But I think if you yeah. watch him compared to, like, other FCF, FCS guys that have made it, he, he resembles a lot of those guys. He could probably do it. Yeah, well, I mean, he was Cotton was unstoppable when he played, and I know Petrino, Coach Petrino, talked about how the offense is different when he was playing. Yeah, which I hundred percent agree with. But it also circles back to a point you brought up of for next season, like Jesus, what the hell are we going to do? Yeah, uh, we just lost our single weapon that makes everything else uh, a little, you know, significantly better. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's kind of like in basketball. You have an elite point guard who goes out. What the hell are you supposed to do? Right. Um, for us, the answer is recruit, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. Oh yeah. Uh, but sorry, just to that. jump through real quick. Um, punt returner, second team, Patrell Haywood. I didn't feel strongly one way or the other. Uh, again, um, guys like Rashid Shahid just don't get kicked too, so they get they have no stats. But you know, Cottrell wasn't bad at all yeah. punt return wise. He had he was second in the league, which surprised me. He'd always make um, a guy but, miss and get like seven yards each time. It'd be like stud step, yeah. move to the left, makes one guy miss, gets seven, eight yards. E- each time you could trust to get that out of it. And he didn't fumble anything. Yeah, he was steady. No, he didn't fumble anything. Never dropped a third Yeah, so he was steady. Then second team defense, we had Trey Walker, uh, which we talked about that earlier. It's just there's a ton of good linebackers in here. Trey Walker making second team, no complaints. That's great news for Trey. Yeah. I would say, yeah, some people were complaining. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. Look at the first teamers. Like, w- when you're a five and seven team, it's like, yeah, maybe he, he could probably play with those guys. But they got to get a little bit of the, you know the precedent if you're a first team guy. I mean, I'm Jace Lewis, Dante Olson, Josh Hill. I'm I'm fine with that. That's he's a you yeah. know he's a sophomore. He'll, he'll he'll be a first teamer eventually. I think we can agree on that. Yeah. Then no Vandal third team offense. Uh, we had Lloyd Hightower, third team defense. Which I don't have much to add for yeah. that. Great news for yeah, Lloyd. He got a, he got, yeah, got a laud there. It's been that was funny. That kind of I don't know if you read that Lloyd Hightower feature I did about he's he, first of all he's a fisherman, which is hilarious. He just drives around down here, goes over to Orofino and stuff, just jumps in his car by himself, goes down to the Soton, and he just fishes by himself. He just loves to fish. I was like, wow, that's that's really cool, man. But in that, he, he talked about in high school, he didn't get all league as a junior. And he he was just, it's not like he, I guess, you know, it's, it's not like he, or he kind of had a chip on his shoulder. I guess I'll just say that. He kind of had a chip on his shoulder. And he hung up a bunch of newspapers that didn't have his name in them and wrote, no Lloyd Hightower in Sharpie. And then he got, like, you know, all state as a senior. And he said it was kind of similar like that last year. Like he was like, what well, was top 10 in PBUs in the country? But I know his secondary got picked on so much that he didn't have a chance to get the award. So it's kind of gratifying now. It's like, yeah, good for him. He got, he finally got that. I think it's easy to see. He was definitely the most stable guy in the secondary. Oh, yeah. No, we're going to miss him a ton. And then the honorable mention that we have to get to MP1. Because you referenced earlier. That honorable mention, you know, Dalton Sneed, apparently this is why it's it's weird. You know, Dalton Sneed and Jake Meyer from UC Davis. You know, Jake Meyer, last year's player of the year. Mm-hmm. Those guys are honorable mention. 
Uh, Mason Petrino made honorable mention, which apparently means someone voted for him. I mean, you know, I, again, good for him. We all know it's a joke. He was he was not an honorable mention level quarterback. Yeah, I think it was just Chris Ball, right? You need, need one coach vote. Pretty sure it's one coach vote. So it had to have been weird. I think we were talking about this. That probably Chris Ball. It's like, damn, that kid just had 500 touchdowns or 500 yards, 500 yards, seven touchdowns against us. Okay, here you go, man. You had a great game. Just setting him out with a yeah. the back, I guess. You know, I, yeah. I don't know. I think we, we all have established that, wow. Either that or, you know, somebody had a sense of humor. And was like, ha <laughs> I'll give him. Yeah, my guess is it was like the coaches uh, more co- just protecting themselves the way, you know, coaches appear, yeah, appear to be their own back. fraternity. Yeah, they all have each other's backs. Um, right. Yep. And then last, Cade Coffee, honorable mention punter. Okay. Nothing to add to yeah. that. Congrats, Cade. Uh, hope you're he- hope you're healthy right. next year. Hey, we didn't talk about Noah Johnson, did we? At second team, Mo. He was he was second yeah. team offense, yeah. I, which I, I think that's fair. I, I mean, it, when he was on his game, you could tell that he was. It, again, it's I got to go back and watch film on. A, I had to go back and watch film on a lot of these. It did seem he allowed the least amount of pressures, which that's good because you know that's your your preseason All American guy. But also, you know, he even lamented his own. He would commit a lot of committed on quite a few penalties this year. I think that's that was a big thing. Quite a few. When you know, when he was on his game, when he wasn't jumping or anything, he was he was doing Noah Johnson stuff, you know. Just like pulling around the edge. That's if you if you want to watch good Noah Johnson, you can watch there's a few uh a few full game highlights from some some angel on YouTube just uploads full FCS games with no commercials. And there's a few Idaho games on there, so I've gone back and watched them. But if you would just watch seventy four when he's pulling on the in run game, it's it's fun to watch. You should check that out for sure. Which oh, my congrats, yeah. Noah. Um, Coach of the year in the Big Sky, Troy Taylor. Yeah. Sac State goes from last place to tying tying for first. They're uh, I believe they're the number three. No, they're the number four seed because they're on the North Dakota side. Uh, but yeah, number four seed in the nation, the FCS playoffs. Any takes on that? I'm good with that. I mean, I think I posted something like that. It was like if Troy Taylor isn't coach of the coach of the year, it's a riot, man. That's that'd be ridiculous. It, I'm good with that. Yeah, he turned around the first year, turned around like a perennial loser <laughs> into a, a seeded team, even though they got whooped. It's like, yeah, that's yeah, good for them. And, and it was kind of fun. I talked to George Obina actually for that like uh, opponent story that I did that week, and I just was like. I tried to get a hold of Taylor, but they were like, oh, no, too late. Sorry, man. You can talk to a player, but not the coach. But I just asked what, what Troy Taylor's deal was like to Abina. I was like, how did this guy come in and just unite the whole team? And he's like, honestly, he's just really nice. That's the thing. Everybody likes him because he, he, like, he points out things. He points out what needs to be pointed out. Like he doesn't add anything extra in. He trusts all of his assistants to do their jobs, and they're do, they do their jobs well so he can focus on the team as a whole. And he said, yeah, from the start, he was like kind of like the guardian. He was basically like, it sounds cheesy. It sounds cheesy as hell, but, you know, like, you know, put his, everybody under his wings. Like he was kind of the, he's like, oh, I love y'all. You know, you're all great kids. <laughs> Just he's like, they, we did it with love. That, and I was like, that's really corny, but also like, huh. Like, I think that goes a long way. Like camaraderie, he just brought the whole team together. Like, huh. Yeah, so I was like, after hearing stories like that, my, I was like, that sounds good. 
I agree with him now that being the coach of the year. So my take on Troy Taylor is one, everyone who's an Eastern fan that I've talked to loved him mm-hmm. at Eastern Washington. And they attribute Gage Gubrud's right. huge his yeah. development. They attribute it exclusively. I mean, of course, Gage was a good player, but they attribute a ton of that development to Troy Taylor. Second, he did inherit some talent. Uh, because, like, Kevin Thompson was not his player. George Obina was not his player. Mm-hmm. Pierre Williams was not his player. Um, Sac State had some pretty bad injury issues in yeah. 2018. So I think that exacerbated the jump. But I don't think 2018 Sac State is competing for the playoffs well, the way this team did. Total, yeah. So I love, I, I, love, I love what Troy Taylor did. I would kill the him in Idaho. Uh, I'm curious how quickly he'll get an FBS offer. <laughs> Uh, but also, he has a t- he has like a ten year contract at Sac State, so uh, I didn't know he, that. Yeah, yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he he took a fifty percent pay cut to go from offensive coordinator at Utah to being head coach at Sac State because uh, he wanted to be a head coach. And then my Troy Taylor story. So when we went to Big Sky Media Days, because I have no media experience whatsoever. I had no idea what the hell we were doing. We interviewed the coaches and I initially, like my goal was, okay, I want to just not sound like a moron and I want to not be bored. I went to Troy Taylor first because his table is empty. Cause I was like, okay, if I screw up in front of here, it doesn't matter because <laughs> and when you said about him being a nice guy, that's what I got. He, like he, he comes across as, as competent, and I don't mean that as like the baseline, you know, like, hey, he's okay. I mean, competent as in like he knows essentially what he's doing all the time. Uh, he His demeanor was welcoming. You know, he also has a different background than a lot of coaches. He used to be a public school teacher. Oh. Um, so I think, and I think part of why he took Sac State is because he got into college coaching a little bit later than other people did. So he was just following the opportunity. Pretty sure he's from around, he's from Northern California as well. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm ecstatic for him. Uh, but that coaching talk that that leads leads us to some big sky news. Uh, first off, we're now we we've recorded this podcast over about a week. It's pretty clear Paul Petrino's coming mm-hmm. back. Uh, we likely would have heard something by now. So we'll get to that maybe later. Or like I guess my my first question for you is, I mean may, maybe. Try to answer this from your reporter angle, but if you can, try to bring in some fan perspective. Okay. I'm trying to find out how to get over him throwing two years away. I don't, I don't know how. That's I. You know, I haven't. I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> I I understand why fans are in that boat. That it makes sense to me. Like like as I said in that column, that it's just like it's so crazy that that, that it happened. Like. I can't think of any other instance, like besides something that like maybe at some D three school or something, but still then it's not the quarterback, you know, like, I don't know. That's how do you get, unless there, there was Dan Hawkins at Colorado, he, but he yeah, lost his job. Exactly. Like I can't, I can't think of where you've gotten does, away. Yeah. It, you've done this, but also like, wasn't Hawkins kid, like actually like kind of recruited. Like, you know, like, like he didn't turn out to be good, but wasn't he, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about it to actually talk about it. So anyways, I know that it happened, but I, you know, I don't know the particulars about the Hawkins situation, 
But, you know, still, like, I think maybe, and this is just, I'm just going to BS here just because, you know, we're BS and it's fun. Uh, what if this whole thing kind of started when the, the FCS announcement started? Or, you know, like early 2016, it was like, you know, Mason was going to be maybe like rotational receiver, which I don't think many people would have been mad about if he was that throughout school. Or, or something, you know, maybe just be a backup, learn, kind of learn the ins and outs of coaching so he can move in that direction. But then once the FCS drop came, then it was like, hey, I can play him and we might we might be all right. But because we're dropping down, we're probably going to crush these guys, big bullies, man. But if I just play him at quarterback, I'd be okay. What if that was the moment that the decision was made? <laughs> like, hey, all right, we're going to start developing him. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Just spitball it, man. Perhaps. Man, so jumping back real quick, you are correct. Uh, Dan Hawkins' son, Cody, was highly recruited. He had offers from Colorado, Boise State, BYU, Oregon, and Louisiana Lafayette. He was an EA Sports Elite 11 quarterback, which I don't know exactly what that is. I'm presuming it's like the McDonald's All-American except for football. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. He he was recruited, at least, and then he was just terrible when he was there. And Dan Hawkins has said he regrets having recruited his son, um, although I'm guessing that's partially nuanced as in, like, yeah, like, it didn't work out, but also, like, my son might have had a better experience had right. he not come to play with me. Yeah, um, but, you know, yeah. I, I don't think uh, – I, I just, I just want to have a – and I'm planning on doing this. I think I've said this before. I just kind of want to have a sit down with Paul and just because when you're in like a, an organized news conference, it's a little bit tougher to get those questions in. First of all, you don't want to start a riot or anything. You don't want to you're, you're going to get some ire if you do that from people around you. If you, if you start asking those questions. So I'm planning on getting like a one on one sit down with Paul soon here because I just want to ask him about this whole thing. Just the questions like just. Why? When did it become apparent that he was going to be the quarterback? Why did that become the case? Why? What was the recruiting process like? And it's like at first, why did you recruit him? Was it just because he was your son, or was it because you you wanted to prep him for coaching, or is it because you legitimately saw that he had the potential to be your quarterback? Like stuff like that. So I'm excited. I, I want to do that, and I hope I can because I'm going to write a story about Mason taking a the GA spot. And I want to get into that stuff when I talk to both about both of them about it. And, you know, I want to be fair to them and like have them you know, maybe defend themselves in some way from, from the narrative that's been created. And, but I, I do think though, it's a fair narrative because when you look at it, it's like, what else is it, man? That's what it is. It's the, it's a bias. <laughs> it's like, how can you argue either way? Anyways, whatever. we've talked about it. <laughs> so, and one last point, and then I'm going to transition off and then we'll be, this will essentially be where so right that story. Mason. Um, <laughs> yes, of course. But just just to bring it up, like this isn't just a fan hot take. You you are the current beat reporter. You essentially have a, a probably a cleaner version of the fan hot take. Um, mm-hmm. Mike Dugar, former Idaho beat reporter, has the exact same opinion. I listened to him on Tutel Nuanas word for word. He has the exact same opinion. Uh, Sean Kramer, founder of Tubbs of the Club, who former guy, he covered he, he Idaho. Position, yeah. He's a Tribune guy. He, yeah, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but based off what I've seen on Twitter, he has pretty close to the same pretty opinion much. as 
as you and as Mike and a lot of people. So again, like this isn't just a fan thing and we're going to move on, but it's not possible to close this season off without talking about it. But now we're going to transition because we talked about coach of the year. We got some coaching changes in the big sky. We said, like we said, not Paul Petrino. Ernest Collins out of Northern Colorado. Okay. Long time there. Long any, th- <laughs> that makes sense. any thoughts on Ernest on the Ernest Collins era? Uh, I mean, what do I know? I was watching the Sun Belt two years ago, but looking at some numbers, not not too great, you know? <laughs> it, it makes sense. What, it was about a decade of him, right? He was there for a long time. Ever. So he was there from 2011 until okay. this season, 2019. Okay. Eight years. So, yeah, that and a whole lot of – So not nine to one, one – was it one winning season? I want to say one winning season in there somewhere, like four years ago. Well, here's my over, here's my over under. Who has more winning seasons, Paul Petrino or Ernest Collins? Oh man, D one oh. winning seasons. Well, yeah, I, I know that Ernest. I'm gonna say Ernest because he probably has two. You are correct. Ernest Collins has two winning seasons. Northern Colorado yeah. went six and five, back to back years, 2015, 2016, and then they. Then they became what they are today. Ernie with the win. Okay, cool. You know, Ernest uh, Collins, very good. Thanks for yeah. thanks for coming, really. Uh, Hot take on Northern Colorado. They should go back down to D two. Yeah, you know, I can I can see that. They were I, good in D two. They they made a ton of playoff yeah. appearances in the late nineties and early two thousand. Yeah, and actually won I, a D2 national championship in 1996, right. 97. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll take it. I think Bresky was on that staff. I have or actually no that. idea. Mike Bresky was on some Northern Colorado staffs in the D2 days. Yeah. The, the rumor mill out of the Montana Mint is we're really wanting Bob Stitt to go there. Okay. Bob Stitt to take over. Okay. Northern Colorado. Oh, yeah. He, he coached oh. the University of Montana. They didn't do that great. Right. I mean, they didn't do bad. They made the playoffs one year, but they, but with Montana's resources, they didn't do great. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, there's not much else to add. Montana Mint hopes that Bob Stitt goes there. I want them to go back down to D2 and cut the big sky down one team. But the bigger coaching change news. I think they should move up. <laughs> well, um, th- that is an option. Okay, I'm now they may need artificial turf at some point, but the bigger That's coaching right, man. Cal Poly head coach Tim Walsh resigns, retires. Speculation is it was a kind of forced retire, whatever. I don't. Mm-hmm. Cal Poly Yeah, Cal Poly sucks. The recent rumor at a footballscoop.com is that Bo Baldwin, former Eastern Washington head coach, current, well, until now, uh, Cal Berkeley offensive coordinator is going to be their next head coach. If that is true, that's a huge, that's huge nice. development in Cal. Poly. How did they get, how did they pull? Like, yeah, I know that it's just, it's just a rumor right now, but it's like sources say from football scoop, football scoops reliable, man, that's a reliable source. If they're saying sources are telling them that, then there's a good chance that that's probably what's going to happen. Damn, how did they pull that off? Cal Poly probably got the money. I'd like to see that contract. That's, you know, that, I, you know I, I assume, I guess. Back when we thought that Paul might be gone, I I dreamed of Bo Baldwin 
uh, as being our head coach. But I thought there's no way he's not going to go back. Mm-hmm. Bo Baldwin's right. big sky career, 2008 to, through 2016. How many winning seasons do you think he had, Colton? More probably, or less than two? Probably like all of them. <laughs> I don't know, all except for one, maybe. I, I, yeah. I grew up watching Eastern a lot. I'm from up there, so like I was watching Eastern football and Gonzaga basketball when I was a kid. I didn't know somebody. Somebody people are going to be pissed at me for saying that. No, I didn't dislike. I didn't dislike or like. It's kind of why I got into journalism. I just like Northwest teams. I know that's weird. But like I have nothing against any any teams really up here, and I don't like any really more than the other one. So, yeah. Anyways, Bo Baldwin, let's hear it. How many winning seasons? In, in nine seasons at Eastern, nine winning seasons. That Those included one. Two, he had six playoff appearances in nine years, one national championship, mm-hmm. two. Sorry, three semifinal appearances and a quarterfinal appearance. Bo Levi, man, yeah, that's that's a that's a that'll get you a job. Bo Levi and Vernon Adams. Oh yeah. Uh, Vernon yeah. Adams blew the Alamo Bowl in twenty. What was that? Twenty fifteen, sixteen. TCU came back from thirty five down or something. That was fun. Oh yeah, that's one of the best games. Anyway. But uh, if if Cal, if this is true. It is now on the table that all three California teams who just three seasons ago were unanimous cellar dwellers, mm-hmm. all three of those teams are going to have three of the best coaches in the league. Yeah. Yeah. The, Between Dan Hawkins, the, Troy Taylor, as long as Troy Taylor's a sack, and then Bo Baldwin at Cal Poly, if, if this turns out to be true. Uh, the big sky, man, for – for the fans who still are not on the FCS bandwagon, look, I accept there are reasons people still want to go FBS. I'm not. I'm not going to debate that here. Mm-hmm. The Big Sky is an excellent conference. Yeah, there are there's a ton of good teams. They're in their own version of the FCS arms race, where a lot of those teams are improving their facilities. A lot of those teams are improving their coaches. It, it's going to be tough to be good. Can we just talk about the FCS FBS thing for a little bit? Like, I just want to talk about that for a little bit. You know, <laughs> like, I'm going to say, so Chris wouldn't want us to hold off on this, but because I'm here alone, I'm substitute teacher. For, so, yeah, man, go ahead. Yeah, that's yeah, that's just like, I, I want to know. So, really, I've heard this, and maybe you have some insight on this, too. I've heard a lot of people, including a few former players, say that they would we would rather play in the Potato Bowl than, like, the FCS playoffs or like have a chance at the FCS playoffs. And that's just kind of always, and again, I'm not, I'm going to say, I think I've said this before. I don't I recognize the weaknesses, strengths, whatever, both sides, losing scholarships, blah, blah. I'm journalist. I'm just here. To, I don't care. I've been fine with the FBS. I'm fine with the FCS. I literally have no care either way. I have no leaning, no tendency, just objective on this entire thing. I would, I felt nothing when they dropped down. I was like, okay, interesting. We'll see what happens. That was kind of my whole my whole feeling on the thing, but that's kind of that kind of confuses me. Do you do you agree that that's weird? That some like former players are like we'd rather play like the lowest level bowl game in Boise. Not saying it's not fun. The twenty sixteen game was amazing. That was huge. I always remember that. But you would rather do that than have a shot at like saying you're a national champion. They're like, yeah. I, I don't know. What what do you think about that? 
So I'm going to do my best impression of Chris's answer here. Okay. Because uh, Chris, I've talked to Chris a decent amount about this, and Chris is one of the best people I know to talk about this. So I actually really wish he was here for this. Because uh, Chris went to the Bull Games, and he goes, he went to the FCS National Championship mm-hmm. last year. He's going again this year. What he describes is the Potato Bowl as an event is real fun. Uh, yeah, that's as, that. you know, it's, it's a home game for us. It's a home game for us. Um, we get a ton of fans easily from Boise. Mm-hmm. And then that makes it a, that's a thing that pulls people for who might need to fly in, let's say from Seattle, uh, who are more likely to go yeah. in then because it's an event. Um, and then I believe there's the other part attached to it that you can say this is a stepping stone. Now for Idaho, it wasn't a stepping stone. But I believe part of the excitement people get from bowl games is the belief that, yes, we won this. And what this means is we're now going to launch forward in the future. I see. And yeah, the, the bowl weeks, that's now, fun. Like, I do agree with that. With all the little events, you, you know, like, it's not just an event in itself, but they actually have, like, mini games and things. Like, team bonding and, and the kind of the fans can be a part of that. That That's fun in itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not going to give my hey, gloves uh, off take on this because we're going to do an, we're going to do an episode on this later. Uh, but I am with you in that I like in the FCS playoffs that you get to yeah. prove that you I want. think I guess I'm thinking of it too and much in terms of like accolades, you know? Like I think from a national yeah. standpoint if you're maybe in a seeded FCS playoff team, that might mean just as much in the large scale of thing if you're a potato bowl not champion, but like if you make the potato bowl, you know, for example, or make a low level bowl. I guess I'm thinking of it more in like how prominent it sounds to say that you've achieved something. And maybe that's kind of the fault that I'm yeah. making, you know, like of saying, oh, you're a national champion, but people don't really see FCS national champion. It wasn't until this year that that was even on national TV, I believe. Correct. It was like on ESPN or maybe it was on ESPN two in years past. I think it was on ESPN two actually, so I'm wrong on that. But I think it's on like ABC or something this year. And it's like that had never happened before. It was always on ESPN two, and then all the other games were, you know, sometimes ESPN two, usually the streaming site or something. I, but still, I don't know, man. Like, I think the Big Sky's all right, and and it's nice for me as a journalist because I can get in my car, and I know we talked about this. Just Staben was like, all your friends from Montana can come hang out like and people are like shut up but like it's nice for me because i can actually get in my car and go to missoula and like hang out with the missoula people for a night or two and be there for the game and like take pictures and video and crap i can't get on a plane and go to go to go to alabama like the tribune doesn't want to pay for that so that's maybe it's a journalist bias because i can go and like see the environment but yeah i don't know i'm hitting miss on i'm i'm literally 50 50 i don't care no, I mean, I, I'm in the FCS camp, but just because we don't have the FBS representation, yeah. I'm trying to err on, like, hey, what's their argument? You can't really. Um, I really think it's more of the event and, and the belief that, hey, this this could grow into something more, and it it's at the great. highest level. It could. Um, again, that's not my actual take, but based off talking to people, that is their take. And I, I, I bet we have a lot of listeners who would say, look, the potato bowl is a big deal. And yeah, like we didn't build from it, but we could, or we can, right. if that happens. And it's, I think it's just like, you know, also what are you going to do at this point? You know, 
what are you going to do? You, you can't be in the FES. It's impossible. So, like, it's not going to happen. There's no conference that wants you. At least, because the FCS, like, this big fan base of FCS people, they're kind of fun. And it's weird because you're kind of, you feel like you're more included in the FCS fan base. Not like you're on the outskirts of, of the big boy football and kind of a low-end, mid, or mid-tier Sunbelt team. And, you know, what? who is your, who are you talking to? Like, here you can have these debates with other people that are, that are like within this kind of small cluster of, of FCS supporters, especially there's like this really, there's a really widespread, like kind of big sky, like media, the media covers the big sky quite a bit. I noticed there's a lot of people in on this thing. And there's like a lot of fan pages I've noticed. And it's kind of fun to like interact with all that stuff. And it's like the fact that Idaho is in a power conference now, it's like, obviously it's this big step down but it's kind of, i don't know it's kind of fun in that way that idaho has the potential to be at least like nationally relevant to a group of people it's not going to be completely nationally relevant but relevant to just like the fcs like the fcs camp right i don't know it's i think it's interesting it's kind of hard to put in words what i mean by that but maybe you understood no, I, I know what you mean uh, to put a button on this part because this actually relates to a point you want to talk about earlier. earlier. Um, the, the FCS, if you're willing to get involved, there's a ton of there are FCS fans and fan pages and podcasts that will give you chances and interactions that don't exist in the same way for the FBS. But also the FBS has a ton more money. So you get things like better Ooh. streaming coverage oh, on yeah. ESPN to instead of like Pluto dog shit. Hey, you want to cross for three minutes? Uh, God damn it, Pluto. I'm trying to watch the game. Nah, dude, you to watch motorsport. Or like Portland State, where it looks like some dude's videoing <laughs> with his iPhone. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that, true that, man. Um, Touche. That was hell. <laughs> yeah. So again, we plan on having like a airing of grievances this winter. Uh, not like a debate necessarily, but like, hey, let's just get the arguments out and be done with it, um, which we'll go deeper into that, which is why I tried to push the FBS side today. But Colton, you told me that you wanted to talk about attendance. Right. Oh, yeah. And the now just broadly speaking, the story that circulates from most fans, and there's some truth to it, um, but I believe you're going to give us some more context. The belief is that in the FBS days, we were averaging like 13,000 or so per game. Then we go to the big sky. It starts out okay in 2018, then goes to hell and stays there. Oh, yeah. Yep. Agree or disagree with that take? I think, okay, so slightly disagree, but I think there, there like were like spurts of that. Like you know, twelve, thirteen thousand. But I think I do remember going to games in the late or mid to late two thousands, maybe really early twenty tens, where the attendance was good. It was like decent for that level of play. But like the last, the independent year through, like Petrino's tenure in the Sun Belt, averaging eleven thousand, twelve thousand. That's BS, man. I'm sorry. That's not uh No way. It was under ten grand for for sure. It was under a 10, 10k. It was under 10, under ten k for sure. Like it had to the average there. And I actually talked to and I. I'll say this on here. This uh, people might not. I'm not going to say who it is. But I talked to an official of school who said, "Yeah, numbers in the FBS days, especially recent FBS days, were crazy, crazy inflated numbers." 
there they did not average we did not average nearly that many and i was like that's true i remember in 2016 going to this game i didn't have to cover it it was idaho and troy at idaho both teams are bowl eligible six seven win teams whatever most of the most of the people i'd usually go with they just didn't want to really go today Remember going to that game, sitting in the student section, not standing, nobody in the student section, literally like maybe a handful of rows full. I swear to God that there were fewer people at that game than at like the Weaver State game this year. I think that might have been the worst attendance turnout. Maybe that or maybe Cal Poly. I don't know. One of those two where it was like 5,000 people maybe, about that many. And that Troy game in 2016 – Six, seven win teams. There were maybe that many people there. And I I swear I remember that being the case a lot. Like, where it was like, it feels really bare in here. Like, there's not many people. And I remember watching, like, North Dakota last year when it was really bare. There was, like, 5,000 people. Being like, this is horrible. But I've, like, I've seen this before, you know? Like, they were inflating numbers just every single time. 10K people. That that was, to be in the FBS, you, like, had to have over 10K, Right. That was it. That, or else you would. I don't know what they do to you. Maybe it was just a veiled threat. It was like, oh, if you don't have, yeah, I was sick. Or chop down your, I don't know, or burn your stadium. Like, but they, so yeah, yeah. In the FBS though, you had to have like a certain attendance figure to fill. And yeah, so I just yeah, go ahead. you go first, man. No, no, you're good. I was done. So I I just looked up the NCAA stats. So we're not going off Wikipedia stats because I've looked at the Wikipedia stats where it seems like, hey, we have a ton of 13,000 games. Um, get, dudes, do not go to Wikipedia for stats. Just Google NCAA football attendance. Um, I'm looking at the official NCAA.org report 2015. Idaho's average attendance, 11,600. Sorry, that was 2015, 11,600. 2016... By the way, that's the bull season, 2016. Mm-hmm. 11,100. We actually went down. 2017, 10,500. Okay. Yeah, barely over 10,000. Guess what? It was more realistically a few thousand under 10,000. Like, that's what I was told, is that they were inflated to be over 10,000. So, And then 2018, schools do that. our FCS season... 11,000. That was probably inflated. Average. For, well, right. I, I was going to get to that, which is last season, 2018, as in last season, the numbers are right on par with what we've had for the last few seasons. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just going to accept it because I went to the games in 2018. I don't. 11,000s around what we had at homecoming this year, yeah. where the atmosphere was pretty good. Where that was. That was not average. That, no, not even close. No, that was a yeah. That was not average twenty eighteen. No, that was the biggest game homecoming this year. Idaho State. The only game that rivaled that was Montana last year, and it was because Missoula just came. The whole the whole town was just like, yeah, we'll go. We'll just go to no, not the whole town. It's way bigger than Moscow. They, but a solid, a solid at least like six, seven thousand Grizz fans came to that game last year. And it, yeah, that was packed. That was now, the I will say I've ever seen. I had not seen. Maybe like in 2009 or something, 2010 after the bowl. Maybe that was – I'd seen like Boise State, of course, it would be like that. Back – I remember that that last time that Kellen Moore played in, in the Dome. It was like that. But from that point, I, I, I don't know, man. I can't remember anything. It's like the Montana game as far as just butts and seats, people there. That game and then back to – then you go back to so, Boise State. 
Colorado State 09 had pretty good okay. attendance. That was the ESPN night okay. game. Okay, yeah, right. That was our that was the one win uh, regular season against a team over 500 in 09. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, my experience is similar to yours. What I'm going to say this translates to is our average attendance just it wasn't previously just wasn't big enough to sustain any hit and still feel energetic. Mm-hmm. And then it did sustain a hit. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it's not like it was, it's not like we went from 13,000 to five. We realistically went from, if those numbers are inflated at 11 to 10, we went from eight ish or nine ish to probably around four or five, which I mean, that's a meaningful drop. Do you have average this year in front of you? I'm guessing it was, uh, no, NCAA hasn't announced. I'm going to guess it was around six and I was also told that they were being realistic with with attendance this year. They're trying to they're trying to turn a new leaf. And I will give props to the and maybe that's Gallic and Green coming in. Which by the way, we can talk about Gallic later. She's awesome. By the way, she's for the people I've seen a lot of people saying good things about her. It's because she's just a good person, not bureaucratic. Just just a person, which is perfect for this school. But maybe that that's why they kind of because I've yeah I've been told that it's like we're counting people at the game now. And that's why you'll see when I get like my stat packet at the end of games, I see it's like 5,400. I'm like, damn, okay. Like that's how many people came in the door in the first quarter or right before the game. Most of them left by the end of the second quarter, sure. But that's how many people came in. And I, you know, that's fair, I think. And they're actually doing that now. So we'll probably see a much more realistic attendance figure this year. Over 10 grand or over 10K, man, that's, that's over 10K. That's no way. No way. That's. that's Last year, over 10K? Oh, no. I think a lot of it's like the disillusion with the Petrino thing that comes into play, too. And I think – but for students, I don't think that comes into play as much. Because let's be real. I think we were talking about this off air before. But I know students just – when have they really cared about football? Like, come on. When have they cared really about sports in general, overall? They just don't really – you go, you ask any, like, if you even go to the club, man, like, it's great when you can talk, sit down with somebody and have like a real conversation about it, kind of like what we're doing, but you can't, it's, it's hard to do that at Idaho. Like, I remember last year, like six, seven games into the season, I, some guy got, he's like, oh, you're the Idaho beat writer guy. Like he caught me and he was like, what are we, are we good or, or what? And like, this guy's like wearing a Idaho jersey and stuff and like, looks like the classic fan you see in seats. And it's just, that stuck in my head. Cause I was like, wow, you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, rambling. Go, go ahead, man. No, dude, that, that's good because it gave me time to compile some stats for you guys. Unofficially. Our attendance average this year at home was 6,800. Okay. Now, that is a little bit high. You know, the number that pumps that yeah. up is Idaho State. We had 10,361 yep. reported. The The other numbers are we had 5,905 uh, yep. versus Central Washington, 6,567 mm-hmm. against Eastern, 6,424 versus Cal Poly, I skipped Weber State, 5,947. How the hell do we have more people at Cal Poly instead of Weber State? And then Sacramento State, 6,100. So the gist of that is the average game was low low 6,000, which is is not good. I mean, that's, you know, Kibbe Dome holds about 16,000, right? 
that's 37 and a half percent capacity. Um, so if you're at those games and you're feeling like the energy is low, you're right. Yeah. You're correct. I guess the, the more nuanced take is it's the past wasn't like 12, 13,000 like homecoming was around there yeah. on those, those days, but the average games were not like we didn't, we didn't go from 13,000 or something like that. We went from realistically nine to six, which is yeah. a meaningful drop, but it's mostly because we had no, no margin to drop that, in the first sure. place. Yeah. And, and I think uh, maybe more people were at Cal Poly because it was after a couple of wins, or I mean, it was after a win and a good showing, like after a, a good showing against Weber and a, and a win against Idaho State. And it's just like, hey, okay, you know, like maybe, maybe we're we're, we're onto something here. I I don't know, but also that brings me back to the point. I don't think students, and maybe with the alums, because the alums are huge in those in those cases when they're showing up. You know, I've I've seen I've seen the message boards before and seen people go. I'm not coming to games anymore. And you see that a lot. And then, you know, sometimes if they're getting some wins, maybe it'll, somebody will feel a little bit more inclined. Yeah, I'll just, I'll check it out and see if they're on to something. And then after, what was after Cal Poly? That would have been, that would have been Montana. Right. I think so. Yeah. And then, then yeah, after Cal Poly, we, we died at Montana, and then we're just annihilated by right, Sac yeah. State like they were a Pac-12 team. Um, and then the infamous Northern Arizona game that we already went in that detail. Game, An instant classic. Idaho versus the Wacos. But So the good news is we're almost at two hours. Okay. I'm good with that, maybe. So Chris is going to hate us right now. Chris is going to hate us, but I mean, hey, this is what happens when you turn the car keys over That's to the substitute happened. teacher, man. I drive into a ditch. <laughs> it's all right. You don't so, word limit. All right. To close. Exactly. To close it out, Colton, what should people be looking to looking to see out of you riding wise in the future relating to Idaho? Anything going on that you want listeners to know about? Oh, well, there's the, the Petrino Petrino talk that I'm trying to set up here and you know, thanks for, I appreciate, I see people sharing my stuff and I, you know, I really appreciate that. I feel like I've been developing as this whole Idaho football situation has been developing into kind of a, a shit storm, <laughs> just to objectively speak. And I know I'm a journalist, but man, like, I think it's helped me like it, just covering this whole thing, the firing of Rob Spear, the hiring of Terry Golick, the, the, the playing of the son, the, the, the one, two family punch, you know, that, that whole, uh, the nepotism dilemma, Idaho's dropped down and instantly not being able to find success. Then kind of, there's a few uh, run, run-ins with the law that, that I had to cover and things like that. It's like, oh, well, this is the Mandelbeat, you know, this is, you learn everything. Crime writer, administrative writer, uh, dramatics, and all of this crazy controversy. So it's been fun. And, you know, I've actually, last year, I will say, 2018 covering that season was pretty miserable just because it was so bad. And, you know, I it's just, it's your first professional year on this beat. It's tough. It's really tough to be as critical as you want to be, you know, like, you, you want to be pretty critical, but you want to maintain this balance because beat writers don't write columns. I'm in a unique position here. I don't write – most beat writers don't write commentaries. I write commentaries because that's just how we do it in the Valley, I guess. Uh, 
but and then I felt like I got better at that after putting up with 2018 and just being like punched in the face constantly. And then writing that, I remember writing that final commentary and I deserved it to get crapped on emails, you know, get messages from people like, dude, what, a, what is this? Stop doing this. And some things I said, I remember some people will probably remember that article. I went, it was really easy on the season. And I was like, Oh, maybe things will look up in the future. And uh, I agree with some things I said, but most of it, I've gone back and read it. And I'm like, dude, why did I, I was just, honestly, I was rookie. It was a rookie mistake. And then, you know, covering that season, taking the lumps, covering Wasu Cougs basketball season last year, more lumps. And then I, at that point, you know, you just, uh, your skin gets much thicker. Now I do not care at all. I will write whatever, whatever I want. I just, that's my opinion. Like, if you've noticed, I think we talked about this. You've read through some of my commentaries. They've been much more critical this season. I'm trying to do that because it's just like not just be one-sided, but be like, this is deserved. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I, I love writing the thing about like the shutout. The shutout was was funny because I, I made a point that was like, it's Idaho's worst nightmare, not scoring in garbage time. And then against <laughs> they, they're the lords of the walk-ons, man. They have to score in garbage time. And then against Northern Colorado, that it's like, oh, one-two family punch, personal foul, personal foul, game over. Like, that's fun. Like that. <laughs> and then North, after Northern Arizona, and I think you would ask me, why did you wait until now to say the word nepotism? You got to close on that, right? I thought about it a little bit. You got to close on that. I couldn't just be bringing that stuff out in my rookie year because I was scared, right? Not Not scared. It was just like tentative. Not scared to write stuff. I was a little critical at times when I needed to be after horrible losses. Like Idaho State and Eastern Washington. I was mean after those. But it tentative, hesitant to just really go in and say, like, what was so obvious to everybody watching it. But when you write about, like, nepotism earlier in the season, in, like, 2019, it, it loses its flame. You got to close on that, man. That's the high note. You got to stick the landing. You got to – because you could talk about it every single week. But I didn't want to do that because that's boring. So I I waited till the end, and I, I felt like sticking it right there at the end. Good for him. Have a good time. This is what it was. Overall, though, I don't know. I I, I don't think the Idaho athletic department's a dumpster fire. I think there's certain athletic programs that are suffering really badly. But I think Terry Golick's great, and I think she really cares. I've sat next to her in many athletic events, and I think they're going to be okay. I will say I have no idea how this whole Petrino saga is going to turn out. seems very obvious that he's got job security and that you won't be able to afford to fire him. Um, you know, having said all that, though, that's just, it's been a good time. And, you know, I think I, I, I appreciate the people reading. I appreciate you, you, you know, giving me shout outs, Brian. It's been really nice. And even, you know, I've seen the, some all vandals guys getting into little scuffles on my articles. That's, that's nice too. Just getting you guys talking about stuff. It's fun to see you guys riled up, yelling at each other. It's a good time. Um, so thanks for, for that. Uh, you know, and and even if, if any Idaho people end up hearing this, like, I appreciate the players and stuff. Just, you know, sticking with me. In a losing season, it's not easy. When you have a guy co- consistently coming to practice saying, like, what do you guys got to fine-tune to not make this big mistake and this big mistake and whatnot. It's, uh, it's been nice, and hopefully I'll be here for – a few more years. I love the Northwest. Um, it's a pretty good job. 
right now. I like driving around to Missoula and driving to Bozeman and, you know, Cheney for these games. I like the Palouse. I like the Valley. So it's been fun, man. It's, it's really helped me a lot. And yeah, thanks for having me on here all the time. It's, of course, great to have you. Can you tell everyone your, your Twitter handle so they can go follow you if they are not following you yet? Oh, that is um, at Clark Trib, just C L A R K T R T R I B. Yeah, that's just uh, the guy with the black and white photo with the Air Jordan shirt and long hair. That's that's me. I'm just the the guy who posts up in the back and watches games quietly and sometimes laughs at the stuff. I, I laugh a lot during games because it's funny. I feel I'm just freaking lucky to just be sitting here watching sports for a living. Even if it is this weird era of the Vandals, this objectively strange last since twenty since early twenty sixteen, man, we've been living in a dream. This is weird. Some some sort of night, some nightmare fuel going on. But you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Recruiting. How about that? Last thing. Recruiting. What's uh? Have you seen any? Obviously, C.J. Jordan from Union and Camus. That guy, freshman, could be competing for a QB spot. And then Chauncey Smart, that's the big one, man. Chauncey Smart, that's the big – if anybody you, – you've, you've seen Chauncey Smart, obviously, right, Brian? I saw that he is officially a Vandal as of today, former, of today. South, so, former South Florida receiver. Yep, and former the U, just Miami Hurricanes sprinter, and like a pretty damn good one too. And, he, yeah, he just like messaged me one day and was like, dude – I'm going to Idaho for football because, like, I just want to play football now. And, you know, I, I don't want to do track anymore. It just didn't work out for, for various reasons. And now I want to <laughs> – that was like, uh, sweet, man. He's, he's like, got, like, 50,000 followers on Twitter and, like, a blue check mark. He's, like, legitimately famous. So that that there's maybe the compliment to Cottrell next year. Maybe DJ Lee can take a step there. You know, we'll see. I'm interested to see what happens. Maybe you get a Juco guy, get that kid out of Camus in here, have Nyron Richardson, and everyone's talking about Borish, and that's a that's a weird one too. Maybe flip him back over to offense, which is probably not going to happen. He's got the Gunnar Amos thing going on. Put him at DB. I never played DB. Get at DB! <laughs> but, you know, maybe there'll be like a four-man competition in the spring. That'd be fun. We'll see what happens. Till then... I'm on to Coop basketball and uh, maybe some winter off-season Vandal stories like that Petrino one. So it should be fun. So we definitely have recruiting uh, recruiting podcasts that will come up later, which I wouldn't be surprised if we give you a call for. Uh, nice. Also, you guys, right. before we log off, if, you, if you're a Vandal and you want to support Tubbs at the club, other than sharing our podcast, which please do share our podcast, we there is officially a Tubs the Club store now, where you can buy a Tubs the Club mug, but bigger. You can get your own hashtag haters gonna hate T shirt. <laughs> you can get your own wanted King Spud shirt. Oh. You can get your own Bozo State Donkeys shirt. You can get your New Lee, as in John New Lee era shirt, or your Gallic and Green twenty twenty <laughs> shirt. All that. All of that, designed by Chris. Chris deserves all the credit for this. He put a ton of work into this. Uh, if you want to support, you want to support us. Go to teespring.com/store/tubsoftheclub, or just go to the Tubs of the Club Twitter handle and scroll down till you see the T-shirt link. 
Other than that, share the podcast. I'm Brian Marceau. Follow me at Brian Marceau. That's M-A-R-C-E-A-U on Twitter. Follow us at Tubs of the Club. And now it's time for the best band in all the land to take us away. Go Vandals. <laughs>